morning. It's good to see you all. It has been uh, a little while since I've been here. So just in case you don't know who you're looking at, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community. Uh, I thought I would start this morning by letting you know some awesome news. Uh, many of you have been asking. I mentioned it a couple of months ago. I did buy a Harley. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been putting on so many miles, thus the tan. Um, I was, uh, I was uh, worship assisting in the gym in uh, Breakwater last Sunday, and uh, I was mentioning to them that I had uh, achieved this wonderful uh, achievement, uh, obtaining a Harley, and then I also warned them, you know, you, 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 might, uh, you might notice occasionally that my words slur a little bit or, or, or something doesn't come out quite uh, very clearly, and I let them know I also recently got braces. Um, my teeth were crooked, and I can afford it now. So, why not? And there was a ripple through the congregation. I thought we were all just sharing a laugh and having a good time, talking about the spit zone, you know, that kind of thing. And I found out later that the ripple through the congregation was midlife crisis. <laughs> so, this is the right time for it. I'm almost 50, so why not? Uh, at least we'll do it this way instead of some of the other ways. Uh, you know, I don't need a girlfriend or anything like that. Happily married. Anyway, uh, we're going to con uh, continue on uh, digging into God's Word. We started for the summer here a study of 1 Corinthians, and we're kind of wrapping up uh, at this point. Uh, this Sunday, we're kind of wrapping up a, a portion of 1 Corinthians uh, a letter from Paul. Paul's a pastor. He wrote a letter to many of his different churches, and a church in Corinth was one of those letters. The church was struggling. We know they were struggling, and he's reaching out to them to try and help guide them in it. There are several different issues that they're wrestling with, and so the book of Corinthians is separated into several different sections as Paul addresses each one. The first issue they were dealing with was one of arguments, division. They were fighting with each other about which pastor they had heard the gospel from who was the best. And so here we are now. We get to hear about this. Chapter 4 is the very last of Paul's conversation about that particular argument. And as, uh, as Pastor Josh said a couple of weeks ago when he introduced 1 Corinthians 1, um, we're getting to read somebody else's mail here. So we're getting to hear in interaction. We get to participate in and learn from a conversation between a pastor and his church who are struggling. And these words here in 1 Corinthians 4 are his last words to them about division. And they're some of his strongest. Um, he has a lot to say. And much of what he has to say here is very pointed. Um, because the division they were experiencing was born of something that could become a cancer in the life of the church. And we find out through history, because now we've got 2,000 years of history under our belt, we know that this was a first moment in the church of Jesus Christ where this thing was rising up, and he addressed it, he helped them, and it didn't go away. Human, uh, human nature is human nature, and it manifested itself as time went on. And it's been cancerous for 2,000 years. And here is Paul trying to help his church catch it. The division they were experiencing was one born of comparison. People comparing themselves to other people. Christians comparing themselves to other Christians. 
trying to figure out who's better. Who's got it figured out? And Paul is upset about this. This idea, this comparison, this division rising up in the church. We hear how upset he is in our passage today. Now, before we dig in, because some of the words he uses are very pointed, um, really pokey, I want you to know so that you don't just hear what he has to say and just figure that he's just being like a jerk. Um, This is all born out of a pastor's heart. He loves them so much, he has got to say this. In verse 14, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. So some of the things he's going to have to say are going to feel not very loving, but they are born out of a loving impetus. His motivation is pure. I want you to keep that in mind. He's not just knocking them down. Um, I wanted to prepare you for that because this is going to get intense, and we're going to take it in sections. We're just going to go through a few verses, and I'm going to help you understand what he means as he says those things. And then we'll, we'll just keep going on, and then we'll try and figure out what we're supposed to do with it. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, 1 through 5. This is a letter from Paul to his congregation in Corinth. This, then, is how you ought to regard us. Now he's saying us as the universal us, all Christians. This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. See, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. See, it's, it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. All right. He starts. He starts by confronting them about their perceived right to judge other human beings. Like, they can judge whether or not somebody is valuable by using their own measurables. They, they can use their own earthly preferences to figure out who's worthy and who's not. And he's, he's saying, no, you don't get to do that. Like, this idea that, that Paul is, better as a, is the better teacher, or Paul is the better teacher, which means that I'm either better or worse based on who it is that I agree with. As if human beings have the authority to determine another human being's value. It's ridiculous is Paul's response. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says that later in Romans. All. Not one of us can see into another human heart and understand what somebody's motives are, understand what's going on in there. Not one of us can do that. We don't have the power. Only God can. God alone has that ability. And that means that it is our job to wait, to wait until the Lord returns so that he will judge appropriately. 
And then when he comes and he judges, people will receive their praise accordingly. And until then, we're supposed to live, quote unquote, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. That is our call. That is our purpose. That's what we do. It is our job. And it's not about figuring out who's worthy and who's not. It's about serving and keeping our eyes on who's most important, and that is Jesus Christ. He pushes on them. He's challenging them. He's saying, hold on, folks. The core of what's going on here is deceiving you. Don't let it. Now, he uh, continues on in the next couple of verses, and he tells them, look, I'm, 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 I'm giving you a challenge. I'm pushing you on some things. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I don't have to do or that I don't, uh, I'm not holding you to a standard. I don't hold to myself. So the next two verses, he kind of unpacks that, verses 6 and 7. Uh, now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. See, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? Or what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, then why do you boast as if you did not? Okay, so what's he saying? Let me, let's just unpack it in, uh, in everyday language here. Um, folks, you're, you're getting caught up in details that don't actually matter. You, you, you're getting all tangled up in your underwear, and this isn't the real stuff. Stick with the essentials. Know what is written. Do you know your scriptures? Stick to that. You're trying to figure out what's true in all these other areas. Why? Why? Do you know what's true here? Because that's what's going to help you. That's what's going to guide you. That's what's going to keep you on the path that you're supposed to be on. You don't have to be experts in anything else. Know God's word. And remember, this is not us against anyone else. And then to, to help make that point, he reminds them that every single one of them, every single one of us, every single believer in Jesus Christ is a recipient of God's grace. We receive it. It is given to us by God, purely just a gift. No one earns what God gives. We're all in the same boat. So the idea that anyone, anyone could be better than anyone else is just ridiculous. So don't, don't start acting like you're all that and everyone else should just kowtow to you. It's, you can, the intensity is starting to ramp up a little bit here in his letter to them. But now he really gets into it. <laughs> Pastor Josh is laughing because he's preaching in Mosaic a little bit later, and he knows. <laughs> he gets intense now. In fact, he's more than just a little confrontational in this moment. Um, what I'm saying is, is he gets angry. Paul's angry with them. Uh, angry. Uh, ooh, let's play a word game. Angry. Vitriolic acerbic, rancorous. There is no end to understanding the depth of how upset he is right now as he talks to them. Because he needs them to understand 
just how harmful the path they are beginning to choose is going to be for their futures. This comparison game will kill them. And so he goes on, verses 8 through 13. Already you have all that you want? Already you have become rich? You have begun to reign, and, and that without us. Oh, how I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. Oh, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like those condemned to die in the arena, we've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We're fools for Christ, but oh, you're so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're honored, but we're dishonored. Mm -mm. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we ki answer kindly. We, we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Let's put these in words for ourselves that we can understand. Let's unpack this. What's he, what's he saying? He's saying, folks, this, this argument you're having seems to suggest that you think you've got it all figured out. That you and you alone have all the answers. That you don't even need the Lord because you've got this. In fact, there you are acting like you sit at the right hand of the Father. I mean, if that were true, instead of following Jesus, we could just follow you. You'd probably like that, wouldn't you? I mean, if that were true, we wouldn't have to suffer for this call, but we do suffer for this call, which means that you're off base. Didn't Jesus say to us, it was good for the first to be last, and here we are. Here, your leaders are on display for the world to see as an example, fools for Christ, Weak and dishonored, hungry, thirsty, in rags, beat up, homeless, working our hands to the bone. When we were harmed, we bless, and when we're picked on, we bear it. And when we're criticized, we answer with kindness, and we're considered scum, we're considered refuse for Christ, just like God asks of us. And then you think you're better than that. I mean, you're, you're so wise, you're so strong, you're to be honored. That's what you're claiming. That's how you portray yourselves. Who do you think you are? How dare you misuse the name of Jesus in that way? Whoo! Ouch. Wow. Uh I try and imagine in this moment how I would feel if my pastor talked to me like that. And then to try and remember, because I, I, I would feel all kinds of things, but then to try and remember his pastor's heart in this, and he wants us to remember this, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. 
Yes, his words are cutting, but they are cutting in a way meant to help them. I'm not trying to hurt you with these words, he says to them. I'm trying to cut through your stubborn blindness to warn you from falling into a trap because you're setting your house on fire. That's what's happening in 1 Corinthians 4. What do, I, do you think he sounds upset? He is. He's upset because he's watching. He's heard the news, and he needs to write this letter. He's heard that there is a cancer emerging in God's people. We actually have a word for this today. We call it triumphalism. You know, triumphalism. You know what that means? Triumphalism? It means that if you have a triumphalistic approach to things, it means that you think you have an attitude that you are better than others. Um, not like they should be humble and serve you forever, but that you're just you're kind of smarter than them. And, you know, the world would actually go way better if everybody would just do things our way. I, I confess this as a driver. When I'm on the road, I absolutely am certain I am triumphalistic. I'm the best driver out there. If everybody would just drive the way I do, there wouldn't be accidents, and I would get where I need to go quicker. Triumphalism, this smug, boastful pride in having everything figured out. And you know what comes along with, uh, with that attitude, this triumphalistic attitude? What comes along with it is the perception that power is how you get things done. You value power. You value, like, if, if I could just influence things, I could get myself in a position to make the decisions here, things would go better instead of valuing humble service as the way that God transformed the world through Jesus Christ. Triumphalism was manifesting in the church in Corinth, and it was starting in something so innocuous, like most things do, in the simplest, smallest little ways. Something innocuous as an argument over which preacher was better than the other, and whose follower they deigned to be. A very simple comparison set up a dispute over who was right and who was wrong and what human being was worthy of allegiance. What human being was worthy of allegiance? And when comparisons like that start up, it is inevitable, inevitable, as proven by 2,000 years of history that eventually the group that wins will have the power over the others, and then they will exercise that power to help everyone else fit the mold that they are forming. Forcefully help, if need be. This is, this is the kind of thing that eventually led to the Crusades, where we're going to retake the Holy Land and convert the Muslims at knife point. Or the inquisitions that happened a little bit later where, you know what, uh, Jewish believers and Muslim believers, like, they need to become Christian whether they like it or not. So they can either change or pay higher taxes or change or die. This is the kind of thing that in the Reformation led Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, Catholics and Protestants, to walk up to each other and be like, what do you believe about communion? I don't like that. Kill you. 
It's a cancer. And you see why Paul, you see why Paul felt the need to speak very plainly and quite brusquely with his church because he's wise enough to know where this is going to go. As fallen human beings, when this way of thinking is given oxygen, it leads to so much pain. I'm so correct. I will do whatever I need to do so that my way wins. Which leads to believers acting in very unchristian ways to get to what they think are Christian outcomes. And Paul is upset with them about this, and he wants them to catch how painful this is going to be if they keep on this path, because he knows, he knows at the root of this cancer, this way of thinking, is pride. And the source of pride is idolatry. to set ourselves up as the objects of people's deliverance and salvation, I'll tell you what you need to know. I'll tell you what's best. You know what you need to do? Which was an affront to Paul. Because it is an affront to God. You know, God, our creator, our king, our father, who told us from the very get-go, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That includes making ourselves into an image to be followed. To, uh, to believe that others should bow down and worship our ways of thinking. This is something that God's word is very definitive on over and over and over again. In Deuteronomy, it says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And for Samuel, we are told, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. Jesus himself says this in response to Satan who is tempting him in the wilderness, Get away from me, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. As believers... We do not get to have a triumphalistic theology or mentality because as soon as we do, we are elevating humanity and ourselves as the place where power should be. We put ourselves on the throne of heaven and we serve ourselves, which means we do not serve the Lord any longer. Like it says again in Matthew, as Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Whew. It's an intense sermon, right? 
It's an intense passage. It's an intense message. It is intense because it hits us right where we live because every single one of us has a way that we think that we're right and other people are wrong. And that means that we spend time comparing ourselves to other people. And this is what Paul is speaking against. Stop it, he says. Stop it. Because it might seem like it's not a big deal. It might seem like it's a little tiny thing, but it will, it will be a seed planted in you and it will take root and it will grow into something that will corrupt your relationship with your father. Don't. So what, what do we do with this? How do we process this? Um, in light of how the Corinthians were, Corinthians were struggling, Paul's very strong response. And the only thing that I could come up with today as a response because I think the lesson is super clear. I don't have to unpack this anymore. You hear the lesson. You get it. So I want to do something. I want to practice something here with you that Laura and I practice all the time. Um, so we have this, we kind of have this like shorthand code thing. So we're a married couple. We've been married 25 years. Um, it is spectacular, but we still sometimes, uh, I, I still sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes I will say something in such a way that it will come across and Laura will think, like it, she'll be tempted to think that I might have bad intentions or I might think critically of her. And she loves me enough and trusts me enough to, th to believe that I don't want to be critical of her, that I want to always imagine and, and, and think of the best of her. And so in a moment like that, she will say, hold on, hold on. We have to stop for a moment and we have to say true things. It's a, it's a way of, of, of undercutting the lie, undercutting the deception, undercutting the, the, the deceiver's attempt to try and wiggle his way into our relationship and put a division between us. And so we're like, we're going to stop and we're going to say true things. She says, so you're not saying, and then she'll outline what the lie is. And then I get to say, you're right, I was not saying that. And she will say, okay, then, then what you are saying, what is true is. And we will say true things. So in light of what Paul and the Corinthians have been talking about here, what he is saying to them, in light of the struggle that they're having, let's just say some true things. God hasn't called on Christians to become triumphant. Jesus Christ is our triumph. That's true. What Jesus accomplished for the kingdom of heaven is our victory today, right now. Christ calls his people not to exercise dominion over others, but to serve them as he came to serve. And while we may enjoy citizenship in earthly communities, our most precious identity is our citizenship in heaven we are sojourners. We are exiles in foreign lands. And Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. As those purchased by his blood, we too are in, but not of this world. How about this true thing? We confess a crucified and risen Lord. Jesus Christ, whose name is the only name to be exalted. 
feels good to say true things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the ways that you speak truth into our lives. Help us. Help us to hear you. Help us to keep our eyes on the things that actually matter, to keep our, our minds, to become experts only in what you have given us, the truth that you have given us, the word that you have given us, your scriptures. May they be our heartbeat. May your word live in us. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to let go of the things that just don't matter, to just let him go, to see the others around us as opportunities to serve you, as a people to bless in your name, as those that we can walk alongside, knowing, knowing that someday when you come, the judgment will, will be done and it will be done perfectly. We don't have to do it today. Holy Spirit, Restore us. Heal us. Forgive us. We pray all of this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.